Your money can do more. Brought to you by Stanlib. Invest for more certainty, more returns, and more impact. Stanlib. Imagine more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Sub-Saharan Africa has roughly the same population as the country of India with very similar needs in terms of closing the development gap with the first world. Before the COVID-19 pandemic in 2018, India expanded access to electricity to an additional 100 million people. In contrast, Sub-Saharan Africa only expanded that access to 20 million people. Since the year 2000, infrastructure investment as a share of GDP has been steady at 3.5%. According to McKinsey, this must rise by at least another percentage point to reach $10 billion in the next four years. By 2040, the demand for electricity will have quadrupled compared to what we needed in 2010. But rising debt to GDP ratios for many African governments means a limit to sovereign spending on infrastructure. But that is where the opportunity for the international investor comes in. Already on electricity alone, Africa has the potential to become the global frontrunner for renewable energy generation within a few decades. Already we have seen electricity from sun and wind now has become cheaper than fossil alternatives and the price difference will increase significantly in the years to come. And that growing price divergence implies it will become increasingly attractive to close down coal and gas power plants in the period up to 2030 and beyond. So far from being the dark continent, we could literally light our way to a prosperous and energy secure future. What a positive way to get into our fifth episode of the Stanlib Make Your Money Do More podcast. My name is Bongani Bingwa. The six-part podcast aims to promote the idea that there are many ways to invest, whether the investor is aiming for more certainty, more return, or more impact. As always, my co-pilot is Stanlib's chief economist, Kevin Lings. Let's dive straight into it. Kevin, today we are looking at achieving more impact by investing in infrastructure. Infrastructure investment is not only about good investment returns, but also about having a tangible or real impact in the economy and making a meaningful difference in people's lives. Hi, Bongani, that's exactly right. And obviously, it's about building for the future. If you don't develop the infrastructure now, it's very difficult for an economy to be prosperous over the coming years. So while it costs governments, it costs countries billions of rands in order to put that infrastructure in place, you tend to then reap that reward over the next 10, 20, 30 years. And it's critical to the well-being of all economies. Obviously, when we look at infrastructure, you would generally break that down into two key buckets, if you like, or two key components. The one is called social infrastructure. So that would be something like a, a hospital, a school, and it forms a critical component of society, but there's a social dynamic to that. And obviously, that is absolutely vital in order to develop any economy and become prosperous. The other component is called business infrastructure, and that would be typically a a road, a railway line, an airport, a harbor, stuff that business would generally need in order to try and possibly move goods around and therefore grow their own uh, business activity. And clearly that element is also critical. Now, unfortunately, when we look at South Africa and when we look at Africa more broadly, we are neglecting both areas of investment. It's not 
not as if we've got great social infrastructure, but we're struggling with electricity or railway lines. No, the, the truth is that we're simply not investing in all areas of investment. And so we could uplift this economy enormously if we could channel a significant more money into all forms of infrastructure. Every episode has been a real treat with respect to the caliber of guests we've been able to secure, and this one is no different. Today, we're going to be talking to a true black industrialist who, in little over a decade, has gone from a startup to being a business earmarked to be one of South Africa's next big investment firms with private equity funds and assets valued at over 3 billion rand. Welcome to GX Capital CEO Kudusela Kudu Pitye. Kudu, welcome. Good afternoon, Bongani and Kevin. In my introduction, I refer to you as a black industrialist. Firstly, is that a term that sits comfortably with you? I prefer that uh, industrialist really transforms economies. And uh, it also talks about somebody who has made an impact in their own uh, environment. And therefore, I think it's an appropriate term. You have spoken about the need to get involved in scalable sectors that will help South Africans become dominant players on the continent, if not only globally. You've heard Kevin already say there's obvious opportunities here because we are so lacking in infrastructure development, whichever way you look at it. Yes, Bongani, there's a big gap. And uh, in my talks to young entrepreneurs, I always refer to an indicator where there's a need in the infrastructure space is where the regulator is under pressure. The incumbent can't provide uh, what the consumer requires at the right price. So if you look at these indicators, it was first the telecommunication sector, then it's happening to the energy sector and water would follow as South Africa expands. So I think globally, there's an appeal, not just in South Africa, there's an appeal globally. If you look at the budget allocation of the US government, you will see that there's a lot going towards energy and broadband. And that's where you would place the emphasis even for South Africa, even for the continent. I mean, just explain from your perspective why this is an important conversation to have at this time. So if you look at the different clusters where we've built our brand has been digital infrastructure, I think the appreciation of the impact on input costs on broadband wasn't appreciated as much in 2006, 2007. But the impact of not having power is felt by everyone from the homes to the businesses. And even if you chart a GDP growth for for countries and the capacity, energy capacity, you'll see that the African countries that are lagging behind have a problem with power generation and distribution. So that means it's quite critical. And we believe as these economies evolve, that water would be our next challenge to resolve. Kevin, how do you invest in infrastructure? I mean, let's talk about the importance of public-private partnerships whether it's uh, utilities, infrastructure, Kudu has already mentioned broadband, so we're also talking telecoms, fiber, but also other things, renewable energy, water, waste management. So in a lot of countries, Bungani, the infrastructure investment is really within the realm of the broader public sector. 
And that was certainly the case in South Africa for decades. If you think about all our state-owned enterprises and their role in their individual infrastructure delivery, the role of uh, local government, provinces, municipalities, central government, all of that would uh, take care of South Africa's infrastructure. The problem in South Africa is that the central government has essentially run out of money to do the necessary infrastructure. And when you're in that position, but you clearly need the infrastructure, then you kind of got to come up with another alternative. And the very obvious alternative for South Africa, which is working well, are private-public partnerships. Now, we've seen that in the energy space, and I think we were, from our perspective, very successful in getting involved in provision of energy. By that, I mean the private sector stepped in, was able to uh, provide renewable energy standards, certainly got involved in the provision of solar plants and, and wind farms. But we recognize that that's just one component of how we need to develop infrastructure in South Africa and that you can clearly use the same uh, model, the same techniques for the provision of water. There's nothing stopping intrinsically the private and public sector working together to provide better sanitation, to provide better roads, to provide better harbors. The harbor thing I'm encouraged by because Transnet's saying they're going to um, move the port authority out of the core of Transnet and see if they can get the private sector involved in Pier 2 development and then roll that out to other ports. And a place like Standard and other asset managers would be very keen to get involved in that type of investment. So in South Africa right now, I think the focus is on how do you get a mechanism working that gets private sector and government together in some sort of partnership where both components have a benefit. Government gets the infrastructure, society gets the direct benefit of that infrastructure working, the business gets an investment that pays a decent return, and it definitely is achievable, and I think that government is on board in pursuing this much more aggressively. Could your journey, uh, your expertise and deep knowledge in digital infrastructure and fiber in particular have been instructive in this regard? Yes, Bangadi, we're fortunate to be one of the founders of uh, Dark Fiber Africa, which was the leader in the open access fiber network in, in the country. And today, combined with Vumatel, is the largest privately owned open access infrastructure covering businesses and homes. And uh, we've managed to take what was a startup in 2006-7 into a 30,000-kilometer network. And uh, and I think as a family have been fortunate uh, last year to attract an investor in the caliber of Stanlib Infrastructure Fund to form what we refer to as a permanent capital infrastructure holding company that will invest across fiber, towers, data centers, and other digital infrastructure platforms. So we've seen the impact of this investment, which was brought about by regulatory certainty. So in 2007, one of the listed companies sued the regulator and managed to unlock more than 500 licenses that could provide shared infrastructure. And this has led to quite a big investment in South Africa, 
without any government offtake. So this was private sector-led, private sector offtakes, and the private sector developed manufacturing hubs across the country to support this demand. And from that, you've got a passion of uh, bridging the digital divide and providing access to all South Africans. I mean, this is exactly the kind of thing Kevin is talking about. More efficient energy to townships for low LSM groupings, getting fiber into their homes. Tell me more about this. Yes, I think everyone was focused on the suburbs. So you find that most of the suburbs have been covered from a home perspective. What we did as a as an investor in Bumatal was to encourage the teams to come with a disruptive method of providing uh, broadband connectivity to the townships. And there's a couple of elements in the market. There wasn't a fiber prepaid product, which was introduced successfully and the impact that we see in the townships from Mitchell's Plain to Yesteris, Sosanguve, Falseris, is that the usage and the application of that uh, infrastructure by families, schools and businesses have resulted in an improved access to education improved access to knowledge for business people and overall change in how people perceive township environments. We can now chat to a corporate about putting their call center in the township because now there'll be robust infrastructure. So it can really transform what happens. We refer to broadband as the highway for activities. So once the broadband is available, technology that's utilized over it follows and uh, we've also taken a strategic view to adopt and fund schools so that we can bridge that educational gap in the process. So, Bongani, we feel that this business has a long way to go in providing its impact in townships, and we're excited about the journey. Uh, Kevin, Kuru has already alluded to it. I mean, there's no underscoring the importance of the relationship between a fund and a fundee to achieve what he's just told us. That's exactly right. So, take the example of Stanlib's infrastructure fund. What it's essentially trying to do is to raise money in the local market and it would be raising that money from a range of different investors. Obviously, some of that would be coming from pension funds. Uh, some of it would be coming from large businesses who are looking to invest in infrastructure or other individuals who are just simply wanting to diversify the type of portfolio they may well have. So Stanlib's infrastructure would then raise that money and fortunately we've been able to raise many billions of rands locally and then our team would be searching for appropriate infrastructure. That appropriate infrastructure has to meet certain criteria, right? It's got to be relevant within the South African context. It's got to make an impact on on society. You don't want to just invest in infrastructure for the sake of it. That's not helpful at all. You want to know that the regulation, as Kudu was saying, the regulation around this has to be appropriate. You have to have a fairly high degree of certainty that you're going to be able to complete this infrastructure build and that the environment around this infrastructure is going to be supportive. You want to know that you can get an investment return out of this. Obviously, the investment return is determined by who's paying for this infrastructure. Is it a user charge? Are the people who are using the infrastructure maybe a railway line or a road? Are they paying? Is government itself paying? Who's paying? Are you sure that you're going to receive those payments? So there's quite a lot that goes into this mix. What is very clear to us is, first of all, there's a massive appetite for that, for this type of investment in South Africa. 
future. So we don't really have a difficulty raising the finance. And I know that sounds strange in the South African context, but that is not really the biggest hindrance. In other words, in finding investors or finding available funds. The hindrance is finding an environment, a regulatory environment that we can invest into with a high degree of confidence. And a lot of that requires that government regulation changes, whether that regulation is relating to uh, spectrum and, and the licensing of, of spectrum, whether it relates to, as we were talking earlier, the use of fiber and access to internet, or whether that regulation relates to port authorities or railway lines. That regulation is absolutely critical to unlock these investment opportunities. And what you realize is that Ultimately, if you sit down with government, you both want the same outcome. You both want a successful infrastructure, so you're starting from the same base. It's about talking to government and the regulatory authorities to find a way to make this happen. And I'm in no way suggesting that that is easy or that it's quick. It's been a long process, but I do have a sense that there's more acceptance from government, that private sector needs to get involved in these projects, and that private sector is ultimately just trying to move the economy forward. It's not as if private sector is looking to simply exploit whatever weakness there is within the government sector or the public sector or a gap within infrastructure. That's not my impression at all. So I think there's more meeting of the minds. I'm encouraged by how much development there already is. I think you're going to see a lot more of that. There's a specific set of people within the office of the presidency that are trying to move these types of uh, initiatives forward at a much more accelerated pace. They're making significant progress in reducing regulation. So I'm encouraged that during the course of next year, you're going to see many different projects being announced, not just the energy side, not just uh, relating to spectrum. I think you're going to see port capacity, health, water, sanitation. I think you're going to see a range of uplift in various infrastructure developments. How do we navigate, Kevin, some of the tricky terrain, though, that this comes with, the so-called infrastructure paradox where you don't lack for a need of projects and, as you say, the money is there, but it doesn't actually translate to tangible things that we see unfolding because of politics, because of other considerations that have nothing to do with the need of the hour. So that has definitely plagued uh, our development of infrastructure in this country where the political imperative overtakes and the objective of what you're trying to do gets lost in the politics and in the political players. And I think that uh, in order to get some sort of progress here, you've got to be very clear on what is it that you're trying to achieve with this project and and to not have it as a large, open-ended, vague set of objectives, to narrow that down into we want to provide a road from A to B, we want to upgrade this railway line, to be very specific on what that project is about, to be very specific on what is the cost of that project, to budget it correctly, to be very clear on the time frames in which that project is going to be achieved, uh, who's going to do the development to try and cut down the number of contractors involved rather than simply every single person around can get involved in this project. It becomes very cumbersome as we saw with Madupi and Kosile. So I think that there are safeguards you can introduce into these projects to make them more likely to be successful. But ultimately, you need a meeting of the minds between government and the private sector. And if it requires that there is a user 
charge, that society recognizes that there's a cost to infrastructure. You can't in South Africa, given its limited resources, simply build all infrastructure for everybody and nobody pays for it in effect. So there is this user charge element that we also need to investigate. And you can see it with the toll roads in in Gauteng where there was massive pushback and there's no real payment for those toll roads. And that's a risk for our development of infrastructure going forward. So we've got to keep looking at the models of how do we fund this? We can't just simply assume that all of this infrastructure is going to be paid for by a user charge or that somehow the local residents are going to be able to afford that infrastructure. Everything has to be looked at as a unique standalone project. Coming up later in this podcast. Those are the things that as an entrepreneur you chase for. You chase for social and economic return. And when you can marry the two, that's, uh, I guess, the ultimate for any entrepreneur. Lately, your money hasn't been sleeping well. It's been lying awake at night, wondering about the environment. Your money thinks you should do more to help build a sustainable future. Maybe build a wind farm or something. Your money can do more with Stanlib's Infrastructure Investment Fund. Invest with more impact at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib, imagine more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Could I raise the same question with you, this investment paradox, right? We aren't lacking for the number of projects for want of development to happen. The money is there. How does an entrepreneur navigate these sensitivities? For entrepreneurs, you know, big is not always good. So there's a life for large institutions to invest in utility scale projects, into ports, into large water treatment plants. But for an entrepreneur, you want to focus on what I'd say is a smart city, smart community play, where you use technology to marry infrastructure to create micro scale solutions. So in the power space, we've invested in a business that puts solar on rooftops and their off-taker is a private client. So the business called SPS and it has over 40 megawatts of power that it's invested in. But when you look at the REAP program, it's one of the most successful programs for renewable energy which in which Stanlip has done extremely well. The offtake in that environment is effectively government and it works well. But for entrepreneurs coming from first generation or small family offices, it's not trying to participate in the REAP that's going to drive your growth, but rather focusing on the smart community. In the water instance, instead of going for a water treatment plant from a municipality, it's just taking an effluent plant of an industrial client and modeling it with them to create a recyclable water project that can be commercially viable from areas such as security, putting up infrastructure for public security to even building schools. I think these days with technology, if you want to make an impact on that social infrastructure side, you can use the internet to do good and still create the same impact. So for us, it's really chasing the smart community element 
and focusing a lot on micro solutions. I suppose also, Kudu, it's not just about, as you say, don't necessarily go big. It's not just about investments that will yield good returns, but having a real impact in the lives of uh, the people in the economy in which you operate. So true. And uh, Dark Fiber, when it was started, it was six entrepreneurs trying to make an impact in the telecommunication sector. But if you look at what we've done to date, we've empowered subcontractors, we've supported local manufacturing, and we've really created an environment where SMMEs can thrive. And I think those are the things that as an entrepreneur you chase for. You chase for social and economic return. And when you can marry the two, that's, the, I guess, the ultimate for any entrepreneur. That is the sweet spot indeed. Kevin, if you think about the African continental free trade area, a single market of 1.3 billion people, a rapidly growing and urbanizing population, you're saying we're still looking at both social and physical infrastructure, right? How do you prioritize? If, if, if you're a government, if you're trying to create a framework in which you can create partnerships, which do you choose? So at this stage, you'd probably focus on what we call a network industry. So we've got to connect uh, sub-Saharan Africa. It's not as well connected as it ought to be in order to derive the benefits of this common market. So by connection, we mean simple things, railway lines, ports, we need road connections, basically anything that can move goods and people around. And once you get the transition of goods and people, now you create opportunity and you create vibrancy. But in order to make that happen, you also need the regulation around the flow of those goods and people to be streamlined. You can't have a situation where you're trying to get this infrastructure worked and then a truck is sitting for three days at a border post and it simply can't cross. That's a massive inhibitor. So it's clear that Yes, you can focus on building the network industries, but you need to make sure that governments are on board in terms of just trying to free up the process to make it easier for all of this to transpire. So once you get that sort of network uh, developed and you're starting to get some vibrancy, then generally what starts to happen is economic growth naturally picks up, government revenue picks up, and then you're in a position to use that additional revenue to start to build some of your critical social infrastructure. Last thing is that everybody who's looked at the Africa continent, people both in sub-Saharan Africa and outside at uh, research agencies, keep flagging that there's this massive demographic potential, this demographic dividend we call about, we call in, in sub-Saharan Africa, a young, vibrant population in a world where the population is aging. It's, it's just such an obvious opportunity to unlock a huge amount of potential on the continent. But in order to make that happen, you've got to unlock the politics that will facilitate the investment. Kudu, you keep referring to your business as a family operation, uh, but uh, look at the journey you've already had from a humble startup, uh, what, a decade ago. What is next for you? What happens for you in the next decade, given the framework of opportunities Kevin has just described? Well, Lani, there's a lot to dream about and to play for in South Africa and the continent. So if you look at the digital infrastructure, the fiber growth in South Africa, we 
we believe still has at least another three-year run where investors have to create products that are relevant to the lower LSM and are making an impact in that market. And I think as countries and towns evolve into smart communities, you're going to have electric cars, you've got data centers that are coming on shore, you've got um, multitudes of new technologies that are requiring a stable and affordable connectivity base to be able to provide value for the end user. So we believe that digital infrastructure theme will continue in, in South Africa. On the energy side, we're very excited at the prospect of being able to build a footprint of solar asset and hopefully in future being able to trade it across municipalities and provinces and thereby assisting ESCOM in keeping the lights on without having to utilize its own balance sheet. So we believe there's a there, there's going to be quite a phenomenal run similar to the fiber one where they embedded power generation programs will start paying dividends for the country and hopefully creating jobs. And for me, I I think water and providing water solutions for water infrastructure would be something I would like to do within the next 10 years as something that uh, would uh, complete us as a utility infrastructure platform that has gone across uh, telecommunication, energy, and water infrastructure, and hopefully in the process, have created efficiency, jobs, and new methods of applying uh, uh, investment. It's all to play for, isn't it, Kevin? I mean, uh, we're talking water, we're talking broadband, uh, we're talking clean energy. Where does the Stanlib Infrastructure Fund play into all of this? So there's a huge amount of opportunity and it actually can feel a little bit overwhelming at times when you realize just what is ahead in order to make South Africa successful. So a number of years ago, Stanlib took a very active decision to develop an infrastructure team and an infrastructure fund. And part of that decision evolved from sitting and saying to ourselves, we're complaining about the lack of infrastructure. We're complaining about the lack of economic growth. What are we doing about it? Can't we get involved? And when you reach out and you speak to to various investors, particularly pension funds, they express exactly the same frustration. And it's it's about, well, can we do more? And, and I'm overwhelmed by how many individuals I speak to regarding the infrastructure fund who after the discussion say, how do I get involved in this? And I think it emanates from that sort of thought. So Stanlib has a, a team of people that sit and do infrastructure all day long. That's all they do is look for projects, invest in projects and try and make an impact in South Africa. As I say, they obviously have a certain amount of money available. They're always looking for more money. So if there are investors looking to get involved, we'd certainly welcome that. But having raised a pool of funds, they then uh, look at opportunities to partner with people like could have made successes, to partner with local government, with central government, whatever it takes in order to get these projects effective. Obviously, up until now, a lot of that focus has been in the energy field. And I think that that has kind of pioneered the private-public partnerships and we've seen more of that. But what I'm hopeful is that as we unlock more now of the energy provision, and I think you're going to see this flood of private sector investment in energy, that that creates an example, that creates almost a blueprint for investment into other sectors and that we use it as 
as a kind of springboard into doing sanitation, water, and a whole range of other things. So I'm becoming more and more encouraged that you're going to see success in infrastructure and that it will start a virtuous cycle of uh, increasing investment from the private sector. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Stanlib Make Your Money Do More podcast. In each of our episodes, we aim to promote the idea that there are many ways to invest, whether the investor is aiming for more certainty, more return or more impact. Your money can do more to help grow a sustainable future, stimulate the job market and have a real impact on the economy, all the while delivering meaningful growth. A very big thanks to our special guest, the GX Capital CEO, Kudusela Kudubike. And of course, my co-pilot as always, Stanlib's Chief Economist, Kevin Lings. Certainty, more returns, and more impact. Stanlib, imagine more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider.